Hey everybody, welcome to Thumbnail, a visual arts podcast. I'm Joe Roshert, illustrator, animator, and adjunct professor. And I'm Louis Rosignol, visual artist. All right, in today's episode, we're going to be talking about the topic of one step backwards, two steps forward. In the business, sometimes you have to take a step back in order to see the bigger vision in different ways. And so we're going to be chatting about how that has happened to us so far as professional artists. When you say that, we've been texting a little bit about this topic, but not much. And so I just want to get an idea for what I had in mind and make sure that it's kind of similar to what you were thinking about. Sure. Because you were saying it's like stepping back, looking at things, and then reevaluating. Yeah. I also was thinking it in the sense, sometimes you actually have to take a step back from what you're doing and change directions and leave that behind because it just wasn't working. Exactly. I was thinking it would be open to anything from thinking about a project, thinking about a larger business thing. Yeah. So I have some that come to mind when I think about that concept. Okay. Why don't you start with one, and then we'll go from there. Okay. We've talked before about how I first got a studio Mm -hmm. and I decided to jump right into a studio because I had a larger project. It was going to be like five to 10 grand worth of work. So I get the studio. I start setting up my workspace. I'm working on this project. And then this is the big failure of mine. This project never paid me. Mm -hmm. So I never got paid for the work. This was right when I was first really starting my freelance career and I had to shuffle. So it took a while for me to build, 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 build. I ended up making everything work and I had the studio for four years. But I was getting to this cash flow issue where I had to sell off my moped in order to pay for my studio one month. And so that was kind of like taking a step back in order to keep moving forward. Yeah. But it was only getting me back to square one, right? So I took a step back, sold the moped, got back to the step I was at, but then I couldn't move forward. So I'm like, okay, I need to think about how I need to step back one more time intentionally in order to make the two steps forward. And that's when I made the really tough decision to get rid of my studio that I had for four years, the separate studio, and move it into a new apartment. So I moved my apartment and my studio into one. You combined it, yeah. Combined it in order to save money, to save enough money to buy the big Wacom Cintiq that I have. Mm -hmm. And by having this big piece of equipment, I would be able to do this animation project that I had just got a lot quicker with higher quality. And I'd probably make less profit because I had to buy this big piece of machinery, but I'd spend less time and I'd be able to keep building off of this big piece. So in order to afford that, I had to combine my studio and living. And so that was my step backwards. You basically had to evaluate your expenses and realize maybe you were expending too much expense when you could figure out a way to basically rearrange things so that you could spend less money and then you had more money for another area, which was the Wacom tablet. That's what I'm getting from this. Yeah, I learned the importance of cash flow and overhead. Was this early on in your career? Because that's something that you definitely want to think about And I know I never did early. I was like so bad at actually sitting down and really crunching numbers and seeing exactly what I'm spending. I was always very good at that because I started my whole business with basically a $200 loan from a friend. Which isn't a lot to start a business. No. And that was leftover materials from school and stuff like that. And so I understood that I had to keep funneling money back into the business. 
and I had to make personal sacrifices in order for that to grow. And when you're starting with no cash income or no overhead or no savings even, yeah, it's a much longer process to get to a point where you do have enough money to play with and make serious advances Yeah, as far as the equipment you have the projects you're now able to get, so on and so on. I can relate so much to this because in exactly this situation, I've actually sold three or four different scooters that I owned. So I know you sold your (laughs) moped just to like get myself a little bit more breathing room right? because it was either that or find a different job or something. Right. Sometimes I've even went to like Bull Moose and sold a handful of CDs just to get a few dollars. And thankfully, neither of us are in that position anymore. But sometimes you do have to think, I'd want to continue doing this. And is there anything you own that's not a need and it's just something you have that's for fun that you could sell? And I did regret it sometimes. God, I wish I didn't sell that scooter. Oh, yeah. I missed that thing. In the long run, it was worth it. Totally. And my frame of mind has changed too, where when I'm purchasing something big or splurging in a way, I'm always thinking, is this thing or this material going to pay for itself and make me money. Right. When I bought a printer, Mm -hmm. yes, this is a big chunk of change. It should pay for itself, and it should keep paying for itself on top of that. Yeah. 10 plus times over for the lifetime of the printer. And so you had to just be aware of that mindset. I had the technology to be able to make the project work. Mm Mm-hmm. If I had to, it's using the Wacom tablet, the one without the screen. But I knew that that wasn't going to be enough. So that's when I invested in the giant 27-inch Wacom Cintiq and a new desktop computer at the same time in order to just level up my production. But it came at a huge cost. I then learned that having a studio space, a separate one that's not my bedroom, was crucial to my work. Right. I really need that separate space. And by combining that, it kind of screwed me over in a lot of ways, not just productive ways. What I gained in productivity because of the equipment, I think I also lost productivity because I'm now right next to a bed that I could lay on and take a nap. Mm -hmm. And mentally, it wasn't jiving. It got in the way of relationships and stuff. That was kind of a bad backward step in one way, but a really great backward step in another. So it's just something I had to learn and move forward from. It's true, like what you're talking about, where you have to weigh the pros and cons of the decisions. For instance, I just lost my scanner. I didn't lose it, but it just stopped working. Now it's scanning weird and I can't use it to make prints. So I ordered a scanner two days ago and I was really contemplating because I have a 9 by 12 scanner. You can scan all the small drawings you want, but whenever you have a larger drawing, you have to scan it in pieces, and it's frustrating. It's a pain because then you got to piece it back together. And I've probably had two or three scanners break, and they're always the 9 by 12 ones. Every time it happens, I'm like, should I just this time get the bigger one? But it's a difference between $100 for the small one, and then the bigger one is like $1,000. It's a big difference, right? Yeah. And I'm thinking, it saved me a lot of time. Because I wouldn't have to do the, you know, putting the pieces back together after. But is that worth $1,000 to me? So you have to think about your time. And I like what you're talking about, how maybe you didn't save yourself some time, but you up your production in one way. But it has these other drawbacks where now you're living where you work. And that makes you maybe less productive in another way. A lot of times, the one step backwards, two step forwards ends up being one step backward. And then like just one step forward, but kind of in a slightly different direction. Right. 
And it's like that, I think, in the beginning for a long time. You're building your foundation in so many different ways. It feels like you're just running on a treadmill. Yeah. But you are making forward progress. Right. And you just have to keep pushing. All the equipment I have and all the equipment you have isn't something we just threw money into at once. Right. If we did, we might be further in our career, right? But I'm kind of in the mindset where I don't want to go into unnecessary debt in order to move forward. That could be a wrong mindset. It's like a risk reward type thing. Whenever you spend money, there is always the risk that you're going to spend it and not make it back on what you spent it on. But that's another thing that I've taken steps back spending money on things and then just didn't make my money back. And so there's a lot of times like that in my career that I can think about. The first one I wanted to talk about, it's actually a stylistic thing. Awesome. I feel like to me, this was more than one step back. I had to take a few steps back and really readdress things. So this was when I was in school. My art style was a lot different than it is now. And at the time, you're always happy or proud of what you're doing. Right. You know, you look back on it, it could have been a lot better. But I was proud of myself. And I remember seeing online 3 by 3 The magazine, yeah. 3 by 3 magazine. Yep. And they're an illustration association. They were offering for 100 bucks. It's like the portfolio review. Yeah, I did that. Oh, you did one too? With Charles Hively, yeah. Mine wasn't with Charles. I can't remember who it was. It went terribly. So... I was like all excited. This is going to be great. Mine went pretty fast. Yeah. So I thought, you know, this is going to be okay because I think my work's good enough where he'll be able to give me some constructive feedback and then I'll take it and run. And at that point I had a website. I had what I considered to be a strong portfolio. I sent him the link and then we did our call, which is like a Skype call. He just ripped my portfolio apart. At that time, there was like two artists that I loved. I mean, I liked a lot of artists, but there was two in particular that I loved and I was almost mimicking their styles. Mm -hmm. And he knew the two artists immediately. And he was, it doesn't even look like there's any of you in these pieces. It looks like you're just trying to copy these two people. Yeah. And it hurt because it was true. Yeah. I knew it was true. And so I knew I had to step back and he kind of gave me a little bit of positive advice, like how to do that. He's like, you do a good job with these styles. Maybe if you even just tried to use different mediums than they use, but try the similar styles, that would be different enough. He said, you really just need to step back and do some experimenting. Yeah. And so that's what I did. And he gave me some hints, like what ways to experiment. And they did work for me. But it was devastating because I had a basically a full portfolio in my mind. And he was basically, you need to scrap all of it and build a new portfolio that's you. Yeah. And that's what I did. And when I look back and I look at the portfolio I had then and the one I have now, none of those pieces are in my portfolio anymore. And the thing is, he was kind of half right. And he basically said, you'll never get work like this. And he wasn't totally right with that because I was already getting work. But he was right in some ways because I wasn't going to ever get work for huge clients that knew who these other artists were because they were just going to see what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And that was hard to hear because almost all artists think that they're ripping other people off, fake it till you make it, or my two derivative. And so to actually hear that he knew the artists and that I was really clearly into. The funny thing is now my work, I never hear the two artists that I used to really love and copy. I never hear those names. I hear different names, yeah, but not that I'm copying them, just that they can see like an influence. There's a different, you're going to see influences in people's work, but you just don't want to outright copying. Them. Yeah. I'm not upset that I spent a lot of time copying those artists because I learned so much. I learned how they did certain things by doing that. Right. And now I'm able to take a little bit of that stuff and use it in what I do, but a lot of what things I just learned through my own experimenting. So my pieces have way more of me in them, if that makes sense. Right. 
Totally. So that was, to me, way more than one step backwards because it was, I got to make a whole new portfolio, basically, right from scratch. That's so interesting because I also did almost the exact same thing, right? But mine went a little different where I was able to get one of 10 slots that he was offering, mm-hmm. but I had to go physically to New York. Oh, so you met in person? I met in person. Oh, I'm glad I didn't waste my time doing that because I would have been really <laughs> mad. <laughs> <laughs> but luckily I had a friend living in New York and so I stayed with him and yeah. he was able to help me find where his place was. I had to meet him. and I remember I put together a portfolio that week, the like, previous week, only in a couple of days worth of time to put a portfolio together. So I'm kind of scrambling and trying to put something together to show him something to get some advice. So I was very much not prepared, put that way. I wasn't expecting to actually do that. And it's kind of similar in ways where he was very matter of fact in how he spoke, but it wasn't until later and after like really thinking about it, realizing that some of the things he said that sounded like criticisms might have just been observations and nothing more than that, really. One of the big ones that I remember was one of the first things he said to me was, oh, all this stuff kind of just looks like 90s animation cartoons. I'm like, wow, that's kind of right on the money. That's like what my thesis this was on yeah (laughs) that's my my core inspiration it's like yeah it does kind of look like that stuff and i kind of took it as in like a negative criticism at first yeah but i don't think that's bad i guess it depends on the tone he said it in you know that definitely plays into if it was bad or not i don't think that we had the same guy but man they really could train the people that do their portfolio reviews to be a little bit more constructive i used to manage at different places and it was always the best way to give someone criticism is by sandwiching it in between two compliments basically i told him straight up i didn't need to hear the compliments well that's good you didn't want to waste your time don't waste my time yeah i didn't tell him that but he didn't give me any anyway (laughs) i think i got a lot out of it i think it was still great criticism and great experience when you're going into those things you have high expectations and just be sure not to put too much wind in your sails because they're gonna be be immediately taken out of your sails (laughs) i was devastated i was almost god maybe i just don't want to do art anymore mine was think of it this way you just graduated your undergrad the next five years is basically your master's program Mm -hmm. so just focus on that and think of it that way yeah he was very much right in that sense where the next five years was a grind and i was learning a ton and i was changing a lot and i guess that's same scenario happens over and over again with most artists. Would you ever be tempted to go do another review now just to see... I would almost be scared to, even though I know that I'm selling tons of work, I'm doing fine, but you always have that doubt in the back of your mind. And the last thing you need is someone to just say all those doubts are actually true. It's true. Just thinking about it now, yeah, I do get kind of nervous, but I think being nervous and making yourself vulnerable is when you're on the verge of something great. And so I do think I would want to, because right now I think my next mountain I'm trying to climb over is to get into the children's publishing industry. And I'd love for my portfolio that I'm building now to reflect that if I were to get that critiqued I'm wondering if I would even fall into that category or if they would just be like no it's still too much animation right it's hard to know if you switch to traditional media maybe the style would fall better into children's books I don't know. I wouldn't mind some advice, but I am wondering if that would slow my process down to a halt for a couple months while I'm thinking about it more. (laughs) Could be. I'm actually glad we're talking about this, though, because there's probably a lot of people that listen that are new to art or they have the same feelings of doubt and, you know, wonder if they're good enough. 
And so to hear two professional artists that make a living with their art talking about the same thing, that could help someone, you know, where they think like, oh, okay, so that's something that you always struggle with and that's okay, you know. Oh, yeah. I was thinking about this just last night. I was looking at my portfolio on my website. I was jazzed a couple days ago of the last piece I did, but now I'm already over that and looking at my work, I'm like, I'm just not... I'm not satisfied with my work. I know I could do better than this and I'm more excited for what's to come, but I'm just like wishing I was already there. Yeah. And I think that's actually a very good thing and I hope I never lose that. I hope I always look at my work like that because then I will continue to grow right. and make better pieces. Yeah. As soon as you get totally satisfied, what reason do you have to keep progressing? Right. And so I felt this way when I first started and I think all artists feel that way. And so you just have to accept it and keep moving forward and trust the process and trust your skills and ambitions. And, yeah. and I think it's just a natural feeling. I will say now that I'm thinking about it, the portfolio critique that I was talking about probably was the best thing that ever happened to me because if I never got that, maybe I would have kept going down that path of that style that I was working in and I would have just stalled out and not known why. So even though it was probably the hardest thing to hear, mm -hmm. it's the thing I most needed to hear. Totally. And man, that's exactly. hard. It is tough. And I agree. I think I feel the same way. And I think that's why I would be totally, totally down to do it again, even if it's with someone else or the same person. I don't care. But I think it's always good to have that gut check. I think it'd be better to do it with someone else just to get a different perspective anyway. But I know what you mean. Yeah. But the other thing too is I think I did put too much stock in his opinion. Yeah. I did too a little bit. Where you, you have to also be careful not to do that. Because I try to tell that to my students when I'm giving them critiques of their work you know, myself. You can't always just take my word as truth, as the ultimate truth, because that's just my opinion from what I've learned and what I've seen yep. over the course of my life. So you kind of have to get multiple opinions, see what crosses over, what doesn't, and then make your own decision on how you're going to move forward. Right. For me, it took me a while to really filter out this one critique I had, and I didn't get more critiques on the same portfolio. I kind of used that as the truth and then really dug into what I wanted to change and what I didn't want to change and how I was going to move forward. And I almost wish I sought out more opinions. It's hard if you get opinion like that that's really negative. Right after that, you're not going to want to go up to people and be like, can you just give me the brutal honest truth? Because it could be a lot to digest and a little overwhelming. I think when I scheduled the critique, I was hoping for an easy couple little things I could work on that would take my portfolio to the next level. Whereas he basically gave me something that I had to start over from scratch. Yeah. And so I wanted something that, okay, in the next couple months, I can really start making a big difference. And what he gave me was something that I knew it was going to take years to develop basically into what I wanted it to be, at least a year. I mean, your style is constantly developing, but it was just such a long process that I knew I had to go through that it was just hard to hear. Mm -hmm. It fits in the category of taking some steps back in order to take steps forward, for sure. And that's coming from two people who are tackling their portfolio at an early age, trying to be different, trying to be unique. Mm -hmm. That's why I stress so much to not fall into anime style. If I had classmates of mine go into the same critique with their very anime-esque portfolio, what would he have done to them? Right. Well, that guy is trying to be unique and he's not unique, <laughs> you know? 
Yeah. It's important to find who you are and to stick to you not being someone else. It's definitely true. Do you have any other ones you were thinking of? Because I had that one and then maybe one other one, but I'd love to hear what other ones you had of times you had to kind of step back and re-examine. I'm seeing one right now. Because of corona and all that, I'm realizing I've had to reevaluate finances, right? So I've grown to a point and I have far more overhead than I did when I first started. Right. And so my studio's probably $800 overhead now compared to 300 overhead when I first started. Right. And then I'm thinking of all this equipment I need. I need a new computer again. Kind of getting in the same cycle where like, uh uh-oh, I need these other things to boost me to the next level. What do I do? And I've realized that, well, I actually have to attack my overhead to leave room for money I could play with or money I could save as additional cushion because we don't know what's going to happen. Yeah. Everything's kind of in flux, so I need to get a little bit more comfortable again. Now I'm thinking finding a separate studio that's cheaper and moving in with my girlfriend to then split rent there. So now I'm cutting my overhead expenses in half. Yeah. Which will then allow me to make the comfortable move to purchase a new computer or to just wait that out and have a little more cushion almost putting money back into the safety net that I have been building that I've had to take money out of because of these tough times. If you could set yourself up to make it through the economy like this, which is the worst economy we'll probably ever see, mm-hmm. then you're probably okay to make it through almost any time. I always tell people, if you want to be an artist, make sure you live simply. You don't want a lot of overhead. You don't want a lot of bills because exactly the fewer bills you have, the easier it is to actually make that transition to a full-time artist. Oh yeah, totally. I've also really realized I've kept growing my studio space out and really loving that but I've also kind of been getting in this wave that oh I'm doing better I'm doing better I could afford more but that's not helping me make big jumps that's only helping me feel like a more established artist Mm -hmm. do I need the space that I have right now no is it nice yeah but could I condense a 700 square foot area to 250 square feet yeah probably now looking into options like that yeah that is a technically a one step backwards in order to make two steps forwards thankfully too where we live you live in in town portland which is pretty expensive so even just moving 10 miles outside of portland you could almost keep the same square feet if you wanted to and just live 10 minutes outside of portland for a lot less so there's good things that you can do if you're stuck having to be in a big city of course your bills are going to be higher so there's other options like that too right so now i'm in the process of that and so that's one way i'm seeing one step backwards two steps forwards but even just this whole climate in general is kind of a step backwards for everybody yeah And it's made me really reevaluate and think, well, what are the areas of my business that I need to really work on? And we talk so much about diversification of your income streams and how important that is. I can't stress that enough because all the streams of income that I have and had most dried up at the same time because of the climate. Yeah. And the one that I wanted to put more time into is now the only one that's making any money for me. And so it was kind of nice where I had to sit back, reevaluate my own direct retail kind of stuff, selling prints and cards and stuff like that directly. And how do I step that game up? What are things I need to do to my website to fix that? Right. And so you got to use these disadvantages to your advantage in order to be resilient enough to move forward. Yeah. And then by doing this, you're just posting yourself at a higher level for when things spark up again in all those other income streams. Well, that's the thing. Yeah. 
So now you're raising your lowest bar, and now that's the bar you can depend on, and you could keep raising that lowest bar, and then everything else is gravy, where before I was just living off the gravy and thinking that that would never stop. That's like a common problem, and I know when I was younger I did this a lot. Every time I got a raise and I thought, oh, I'm going to be getting a few hundred bucks more a month or whatever, so that'll be nice. We'll build the savings. But then somehow it didn't seem like I was getting more money because we would start going out to eat a little bit more. Right. Immediately start spending more because you're making more when the smart thing right. would be to literally just save that money right? and keep your life as simple as it was. Because if you can manage that and have your overhead be that low and make a savings account, then when things do go bad, you have all this breathing room. And you're not stuck with the outrageous rent or outrageous mortgage or outrageous car payment, you know, because you're able to afford that at one time. That was a mistake that we made when we were younger, just in our 20s. And it's something I never would do again. Like We learned our lesson. I remember getting a job this is before I was doing art and I was making $11 an hour or something cooking. And then all of a sudden I got a job that I was getting $23 an hour, which is like double. Back then that was decent money. Even now it's not terrible, but it was like, oh my, double the money. I mean, we got brand new cars, all this ridiculous stuff. The job lasted like six months. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then I was like laid off. It was terrible and we were in the worst <laughs> position. So you really, you really have to be careful with stuff especially when you work for yourself, because you could have a couple of great months uh, yeah. and think it's taking off and then all of a sudden have a few terrible months. Exactly. And you never know when those are going to hit. That's why it's so important to invest in assets and not liabilities. <laughs> you know, that's true. Like, uh, I would call my computer an asset because I could make money off of it or all my tools assets because I can make money with them. I try not to buy anything unless I can pay for it outright now. That way, if I do need to sell it, I can. Whereas if you have right. payments on something and you need to sell, it, it's not going to help you. But man, it's a tough thing when you're younger. I know we struggled for years just trying to get into a good financial spot. And then when we're finally in one, like we live in a small condo. You've been here. You know, it's not that big. We have a good savings. It's a temptation to say like, oh, why don't we get a nice bigger house? We could definitely afford it. But every time we start thinking that way, we remind each other, that's stupid. Of course we could afford it, but then our savings get dwindles down to almost nothing and we're basically just scraping by. And so you have to be smart. Like, I think that's probably why the tiny house move, you know, like the people that are building all these tiny, yeah. that's like a movement that's really doing well right now because people are starting to realize, oh, if I live really simply, I don't need to make a lot of money. Right. I could buy a house for $40,000 and then I only need to make how much? For and then the little money you are making could be comparative to someone making hundreds of thousands of dollars living right. lavishly. Yeah. Right? Yep, exactly. But you could be doing the same things as that guy. It's kind of like how saving money is the best way to make money, in a sense. If you wanted a raise, yeah, you could make more money by getting more work in or getting promoted or whatever. Or you could downsize significantly and essentially make that gap that you wanted to jump up anyways. That's it. Yeah, exactly. You don't even need a raise. You just need to be smarter with your money and it feels like a raise. That's like your one step back for two steps forward kind of a thing. Yeah, it's the perfect analogy. I always think too, like, well, I'd rather live in a really big house, but never really have money to go out to eat or go on vacation or live in a small house, but have money to play with and do things that you enjoy doing and not have to worry. So you have to basically prioritize what's important to you. Exactly. And living simply has always been important to us because 
why have all sorts of extra debt for no reason? And right. that one thing we do have for debt is student loans. Yeah. So I always regret them because of that. It's the only one thing that we have to pay every month that I, you know, maybe I could have done that differently. Yeah. But for the most part, we're fine. I just think financially, there's so many things that you can do to simplify. If you're like someone out there and you're thinking, I'd love to transition my career from whatever I'm doing now to art. What's the first step? The first step is probably not anything to do with your art. It's probably just to simplify your life. Right. Reduce your overhead. You could sometimes sitting on the money that you need to start. Yep. That's what I've found out many times. And it's like I look at my current studio space and I think about how often I use each corner of it. Mm -hmm. Well, I use one corner of it 90% of the time. Why do I even have the other corners? Why do I... Why? <laughs> Reduce your cost, Joe. What are you thinking? Everyone should be reevaluating like that right now, especially with what's going on. You realize how quickly things can turn. Right. If you would have told me three or four months ago that basically 25% of the population would be unemployed and the government would be mandating that people not allowed to go to work, right. I would have thought you were nuts, right? Totally. And now that's an actual reality. People getting arrested for opening their hair salons and things like that. That's scary. Yeah. Thankfully, with art, I work from home, so I can't imagine that I would ever be told not to work. But if you're in a position that you do work at a company, and a lot of artists do work for graphic design firms, and right. thankfully, you can do a lot of that stuff from home. But even I've seen those laying off people because yeah. they're not getting the same amount of work in. Yeah, it's crazy. It's weird. I used to think I'll sell stuff on the streets, sell prints and stuff and cards on the streets as my quote unquote rock bottom. It's not that much of a rock bottom because I still do it anyways. But that would be as bad as it gets if I have to do that full time. But I can't do that <laughs> right now. Well, that's true. That's, I didn't even think of that. You wouldn't even be able to do that if you wanted to. Right. So it made me realize how important it is to have that kind of full autonomy and to have that strong online presence and to be able to make your money from essentially anywhere. Yeah. So that location isn't an issue and to start building your illustration or art empire online and how important that is. And then also I've been thinking more about inventory and the benefits and the disadvantages of having inventory and, the, yeah. and what kind of inventory it is. I love the idea of printing what you need to print on demand. Yeah, that's the thing. That's why the nice art printer is so clutch for that because you could now see those profit margins. With cards and stuff, I'm fine buying in bulk because it doesn't take up that much room. Right, right. You're not talking about posters or whatever. I think we talked about this before. I just started getting into selling t-shirts and stuff. Yeah, you can make a lot more money per sale if you have the inventory yourself, but that takes up so much room and you could be holding on to weird sizes for too long. And at the end of it, what is that storage space costing you? And is it worth the extra money that you're making? What would you pay to not have to deal with that? I literally just switched a couple of months ago. So this is perfect one step back and two steps forward because I was selling t-shirts that we printed ahead and I had an inventory in my house of boxes of different sizes. And I did that for a while, like over a year, maybe two years. And I just got to the point where I realized it's just too much. The shipping them out was tough. And then trying to keep the different sizes in stock was a pain. Mm -hmm. And I found a good printer that does per order. Mm -hmm. And like you said, I don't make as much per shirt. Right. But man, the headaches, the less headaches of doing it that way, it right. probably makes up for that. And I'm doing that now too. And I'm kind of almost looking at that price difference as 
they're essentially my employee now. Yeah, basically, you're paying them. And so they're doing the fulfillment and the printing of a quality product, and I'm seeing less profit, but enough profit to make it worth it to me. Yeah. And... And I think that's just so smart to start to think that way. I think so too. And you have to weigh everything out because for instance, I have a bunch of different things in my shop, prints, t-shirts and whatnot, but t-shirts I sell the least of. And so it wasn't a big deal to me to lose a little bit of profit per shirt. Mm -hmm. But with prints, that's what I sell by far the most of. So it wouldn't make sense for me to do it for prints to lose right. that Same. profit. In that case, it is worth me printing my own because I know it's a difference of almost $20 per print if I were to have them done somewhere else versus if I do them myself. That's a lot of money per print right. to lose. So you have to think about that type of stuff too when you're contemplating that. The more I think about things that I've had to reevaluate and do, the more I, I, mean, I think we could go on for hours with this topic because there's so many things I've had to step back, look at, okay, this isn't working. I got to go in this direction. This is crazy. What about shipping? Because I've recently stumbled upon some different shipping websites that will actually cost half as much as what USPS is charging, but USPS is still delivering it. Like what? I think one's called Ship Pirate or Pirate Ship. I'll have to look into that. I go through Etsy and they do my labels through them because it's just easier. eBay has something similar to Etsy. And I've heard people who do a lot of shipping and reselling that their prices are double what they can get from other sites. So yeah. another thing I need to step back and look at because that could be a huge cost savings, which just means more profit. Shipping makes no sense to me because I can ship a book to California for less than $3, mm -hmm. but to ship that same book to the UK, which is basically the same distance away as California, there's not much difference in the miles, and it's $23 to ship because it's internationally. And of course, people always complain about international shipping costs. I always have to field messages from people. Is there anything we can do to change this? And it's like, I don't control shipping costs, but I do understand your frustration. Yeah. So if I could find something like you're talking about that uses SPS and is cheaper, then I would definitely be into it. So definitely, if you're using it and it seems to be working, let me know because I would be interested in possibly switching. Definitely. And then printing sizes. I could print up to 13 by 19 inches and a lot of my prints I've been selling at that Yeah. and thinking nothing of it and paying the shipping costs. And then I switched to 11 by 14 because it's a much more common frame size and the shipping is way cheaper too. So for the 13 by 19, I had to get a slightly larger cardboard envelope for that because I couldn't find the right size or something. I can't remember. But it brought me up to a level that the average shipping cost for that was between 12 and $15. Yeah, instead of like $6 or something. Instead of 5 or $6 for the next size down. Yeah. You know, it's like, ah. Things I wish I knew that now you guys can know. Oh, I know. <laughs> before, but it's true. Before stepping into that. Yeah, there's always that next level with shipping. If you go over this many inches wide, it all of a sudden bumps it up. So you want to know that limit so you can print just as big as you can without going over that. Right. That's the same with books. If you're going to print a book, mm -hmm. there's different sizes of books. The books I do are usually nine by six, I think. And I wanted to do like eight by 10, which is just an inch bigger. And it basically doubled the price of the books. Whew. 
instead of me buying them for six or seven dollars a piece it would have been fifteen dollars a piece wow so make sure if you're going to be ordering books or anything like that put in different sizes into the algorithm to see okay this is the point when it just jumps ridiculously is it worth it to me just to get an inch bigger you know what i mean mm-hmm. there's all sorts of things like that so all in all i think it's good to reevaluate take risks take that step backwards in order to take the two steps forwards and keep reevaluating every aspect of your business in order to keep moving forward too. So I think this was a good talk. Yeah, for sure. I mean, anytime that you can talk about different ways to reevaluate things and what a good time to do it right now during a time when everyone's reevaluating their businesses and the way they do things. All right, cool. So we have some specials going on at our Etsy shops. Use the code thumbnail and that will give you 25% off most of our items. And if you would like to contact us, you can contact us at our Instagrams, Fort House and Lewis, you're at Lewis Rosignal. Yep. Or you could send us an email at thumbnailpodcast at gmail.com and we'd love to hear from you. Perfect. Even if it's other topics you want us to talk about. Yeah, we've been getting DMs here and there with different questions and it's always nice to hear the different ideas people have and we're happy to contemplate and do episodes. You know, this is a podcast for you, the people listening. So whatever you want to hear us talk about, that's what we want to talk about. We want to make sure you're getting the info you want. Cool. Yeah, thanks again and take care.